0: listening to audio from Emanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmanuelBirmingham.com. In arranging many proverbs with great care, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment every secret thing whether good or evil this is the word of the lord to god. it's the day the lord is made we will rejoice and be glad in it i want to give honor even this moment to uh, to god and to the elders of this church who have just walked us gracefully through this series in ecclesiastes which has been a um, a different one than what perhaps most of us are used to myself included And um, I guess I can say, like, man, we made it. We made it to the end of this sobering, somber, mellow, sort of, you know, Toby sort of temperature um, when it comes to walking through Ecclesiastes. It's not something that um, is ringing with triumph and celebratory language, but it is good for our souls to be nourished from the wisdom literature found in the Word of God. And so, Cody, Buster, Ben, I just I thank you for uh, the time you've put in, uh, walking us through, taking us, um, shepherding us through uh, this series. And so it's this morning is really going to be just a recap of how far we've come Um, Key things I want to just say to us as a family to remember, even as we leave this series, I want these things to just dwell on your hearts, just to rest on you as we um, go into the next series or the next sermon or the next Bible passage. Remember uh, these key things. Um, You probably heard me say this before, but um, Rene Descartes is famous for his um, philosophies. And one day, he was just thinking about thinking, right? Just thinking about thinking. And he came up with this, uh, this saying, cogito ergo sum, which is, you know, I think, therefore I am. And then um, what Ecclesiastes kind of brought to light is that many of us, uh, we have adapted, we have put our hands around, wrapped our arms around that passage, and then probably added something else to it, right? In the Latin, it would say uh, putant ergo sum, which is like they think, and therefore I am, along with I think therefore I am. And yet, uh, we ought to embrace the words of Paul. When we read Ecclesiastes, we ought to think about what Paul said in the New Testament. I am what I am by the grace of God. Uh, the, the word here uh, I want you to remember is to keep God's commandments and to fear him. And that kind of language might seem extreme, especially to people who are adjacent to a church culture that's like super happy and joyous and always optimistic. This word of fear, this reverential fear is something I want us to be invited into. I want, I want us to approach it, take it seriously and see reverential fear as a healthy rhythm for the Christian on a daily basis. The, the book of Ecclesiastes is filled with this sobering language, looking around, seeing what's wrong with the world. Ben kicked us off so beautifully talking about how this uh, reality of evil under the sun, how it's everywhere and it's not nothing new. This is not something that's uh, novel. This is anthropological. This is something that's been happening for thousands of years. Even the writer of Ecclesiastes, he says, uh, in my vain life, I have seen everything. He says, there is n- a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Another way the word of God would say it is that uh, it rains on the just as well as the unjust. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs, it goes on like this in chapter 4. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. The power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declare that the dead who had already died are actually happier than the living, those who are still alive, but better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun, a very bleak, a very discouraging, a somber outlook on life, right? It rains on the just and the unjust. And yet, As I said earlier in the series, cynicism is not next to godliness. I want you to hear me, church. Being negative and always pessimistic is not a substitute or a translator of righteousness. The the writer even in this passage comes away with this uh, outlook that says, even of laughter, I said, what good is it? This guy is saying literally laughter is worth nothing. And yet Blaise Pascal mentions that our satisfaction can only be made known through Jesus Christ. But this jaded and cynical perspective of the writer here in Ecclesiastes, it is the inevitable reality of a life absent the joy of the Lord. So what am I really trying to get at with all this negative, uh, somber, sort of pessimistic statement, looking around and seeing the oppression and the brokenness of the world? What am I really trying to communicate to you? I think the Christian, even in these circumstances, ought to have joy, Why? Because the Christian commandment to be joyful transcends life circumstances because our joy is tethered to a hope that is more transcendent than the ups and downs and vicissitudes of life. Your joy ought to be deeply rooted in the fact that Christ has promised to come back and take us to a place that we've actually been created for, to sit around the throne where he's at the right hand of the Father and praise God eternally, calling him holy. And so I think that out of everything, the Christian Even the one who sees oppression, who lives under oppression, who's been laid off and been sick and lost loved ones can find a joy because that joy is untainted, unstained by the brokenness of this world. The old church would say it this way, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. You ought to learn, uh, opposite of what the writer in Ecclesiastes says, you ought to learn to laugh at the things in life. You ought to learn to laugh at yourself, not take yourself so seriously. Um... Has been very pointedly highlighted, my cargo shorts uh, a few Sundays ago. Sometimes you have to learn just to, hey, just laugh at yourself and don't take yourself too seriously. Um, this reminds me of the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. That It takes a humility. It takes a grace to be humble. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay each of them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. Now, these people have been brought. It's like six o'clock in the morning. I'm gonna pay you guys to work until six o'clock at night. And they've somewhere along the line, perhaps lost sight of uh, the grace of God. It becomes cynical. The Bible says that about nine o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw some others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And that's really what they were doing, doing nothing, just kind of hanging around. Matter of fact, that's what that word would mean in Latin. The word for grace, it means to be hanging around, suspended in the air, depending on something more powerful than yourself to keep you afloat. And then this landowner tells them, you ought to go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And you know the rest of the story, or maybe you don't. Uh, The landowner goes out again at 12, and then again at 3, and then again at 5. And he promises all of them to pay them one denarius. And so when it's time to pay up, he says, everybody get in line. But I want to pay the people who showed up last first. And so he gives them one denarius. And so you can imagine if you had been there at 6 o'clock in the morning, you're thinking, well, if they got one denarius, I'm sure to get double or maybe three times as much. And yet, when it came time for them to get paid, they got the same amount that it was agreed upon. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's this uh, pointing at what grace really is. Grace is a sober view, not of just the brokenness of the world out there, but a sober view of oneself, remembering that before the grace of God came to us, we were all lost, sinking deep in sin. Therefore, we don't envy or judge or malign people who get to take part in the same grace that we get to experience ourselves. Humility is the posture of worship that the Lord rightly asked of us. Humility is the only way we can approach the throne of God. It's this willingness to listen for his voice and to, as Buster said, use our speech wisely, not to enter into the presence of God with a lot of lofty words, but to take time and to think and to fear God's commandments even when we don't understand or don't see it all the way through. I'm reminded of uh, the book of Joshua after the battle of Jericho and uh, you got Achan who is uh, he's committed a grave sin. What was the grave sin? Well, God said to Achan, he he said to Israel, I want you to dedicate everything in those walls to be destroyed. Dedicate it to the Lord. Kill everything. Same thing God said to Saul when they went to go fight the Amalekites. Kill and destroy everything. He says, kill everyone. Kill everything. If they got roaches, he said, I want you to kill them. And yet. Somewhere along the line, people think they can outsmart God with their pragmatism. And as a result, Saul loses the kingship. Achan is destroyed and his entire family in front of the entire nation because we're trying to drive a point home that God is smarter than us, even when we think we know better than him. We're reminded of this of what happened in Yosemite Park back in 2013 when uh, there are these um, waterfalls, 317 feet goes down into this granite basin. And the view is like, if you're, if you're an outdoor person, the view is, is, is breathtaking. But there are these signs and these guards and these rangers that are always reminding people who come by, do not cross the line. Stay out. Don't go in the water. The waters are calm looking, but they are deadly. And then you hear that, but you're there, and you're so captivated that you don't even hear it when the ranger is saying, don't get close to the water. And then on top of all that, there are these signs, big signs that read, stay out, dangerous, stop, deadly. Then they got these barricades with signs that read absolutely under no conditions are you to enter. And the only way that you can get into that water or to get near that water is that you've got to climb over the barricades and you've got to walk 25 feet just to get into the Merced River. And then more signs even after that read do not touch it. And yet in 2013, three young people, 21, 22, and 27, did not hear the park ranger, ignored the signs, disobeyed the the, the guards, climbed over the railing, and walked 25 feet to get to the water's edge. And against a young man who threw himself's voice, who threw his voice out and said, don't enter, a 21-year-old girl stepped in the water. Immediately, the undertow carried her off, And instinctively, her two friends jumped in after her and all three of them passed away. All three of them went over the waterfall, ignoring the signs, ignoring the warnings. One reads this story and says they must have been thugs or or gangsters. And actually, no, they were a part of the Central Valley Church on an expedition. Even though we come to church and are singing the Lord's songs, even even those of us who are believers and we may serve in the ministry, we might preach sometimes, or we may serve on this outreach group, or we may uh, be very involved in our gospel communities. If we don't heed God's warning, humble ourselves, and listen to God's guidance, we run the risk of walking outside of this band of protection He's set for us. There are some things in life, Ecclesiastes teaches us, that we will never understand. And you know what, church? That's okay. It's okay to not fully see it all the way through. It's not. It's okay to not understand the entire 360 foot uh, 360 degree view of everything. And we know that just by looking at Job. God hits Job and says, where were you when I created the mountains? Where were you when I established the foundations? And yet Job even is allowed to express his emotions to God, to question God, to show his anger. And it's okay because God can handle our emotions and our questions. Ecclesiastes invites us into this perplexing posture to wonder like what is it all for? What is it all about? And that's okay, as long as you remember to fear God and keep his commandments. This joy that I'm trying to nudge you towards is not rooted in feeling good all the time or having the comforts of life, uh, driving a nice vehicle or living in a certain part of the neighborhood. It's not this joy that I'm trying to move you towards is rooted in something much deeper. and It allows you to recognize that your, your joy is hinging on something more transcendent. Uh, I invite you to think on the goodness of a transcendent God. Even as I was walking up, I noticed that there were kids playing, they're coloring, they're getting busy. And I just want to thank some of you parents for inviting your children in here on this Sunday morning. It doesn't matter if they get loud or or if they get busy. You're providing them an opportunity to create sanctuary memories and you're setting them up to remember something about God as they get older. Help them develop those sanctuary memories so that they have something to uh, be aligned with, to hinge their faith and their hope to when they get older and they're not tossed to and fro by the vicissitudes, the ups and downs of life. Not only should we just have joy, this transcendent and lofty and far and distant, looking at the eschatological hope, this way far away when Jesus comes back, but we can even enjoy the common things in life, the simple things in life. Cody showed us that there's a time to rejoice, there's a time to be happy, there's a time to be sad. We can enjoy food and we can enjoy drink and we can enjoy our works as as gifts from God. They can be on the totem pole of things that we enjoy, but just remember the right thing put in the wrong place makes it the wrong thing. Let's always keep these things in perspective. There's a joy and a contentment in the simple things in in an ordinary life that I believe is, uh, if we view them correctly, Pleases the Lord. Uh, Paul says it this way, uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And no, he's not trying to prime you up to run a 38 halfback sweep. He's not trying to get you hyped up to go dunk on a seven footer. He's not trying to get you psyched up to go perform some athletic feat. What is Paul saying in that passage? He says, I know how to be high. I know how to be low. I know how to have a little. I know how to have a lot in all circumstances. I've learned to be content. Godliness uh, with contentment is a great gain, according to Paul. And I think that's the kind of people that we want to be. Amen, church? Contentment isn't always uh, getting or having what you want. Contentment is always wanting what you have and then thanking God that it doesn't have you. As people who follow Jesus, we are not to be held captive by the things that we possess. We're not defined by that. And most of us probably tether or attempted to tether our self-esteem to where we find ourselves in life socially, find ourselves like the man who in a parable was uh, approached by an angel and said, I'll grant you anything that you desire, but your neighbor will receive double whatever you ask. And so he says, I want a thousand sheep. And then the next morning he wakes up and he hears the, the moves of All the cattle. He looks out his window on the left side and he sees and he knows now I have been lifted from poverty. I have a thousand cattle. And then he looks on the left side up the hill and he sees his neighbor has two thousand cattle. And immediately his joy just stopped. And then the angel comes to him again. Whatever you desire, whatever you desire, but your neighbor will receive double. I want to have a I want to have a child. I want to have a baby. I want to have a baby boy. And so just like that, uh, nine months later, they're granted a baby boy. And they stand up in the church and stand up in the sanctuary and announce everyone, we, we, we've just had a son. And then right after that, his neighbor stands up. Well, God has blessed us with two baby boys. And just right then, the first guy's joy stopped. Why is this? Because he's tethered, like many of us are tempted to, he's tethered his happiness to how um, how blessed he can feel compared to people he sees himself as better than or equal to. And if we are really honest with ourselves, that's kind of what we're tempted with in our society. Our joy is only rooted in how well we can be above or below someone. This word of God is inviting us into something more powerful, more transcendent than that. The contentment that the Lord seeks to to invite us into is tethered to the promise that Christ has made to us, recognizing that we have inherent value regardless of our possessions because Christ thought enough of us to die for us. While we were sinking deep in sin and lost at sea, Christ said, I love you this much and I'm willing to give you my life for you. Another thing we want to remember is that we want to age well as people, and we want to die well. Ecclesiastes invites us to think of these sobering realities that what? That life is withering, it's finite, it does not go on forever. Right. A lot of times you hear young people say YOLO is like, hey, you only live once. First of all, theologically, we don't believe that. Right. We're living this life just to live again. Right. We want to see God in his new creation. We want to live one more time. But more importantly, we don't live our lives on the edge as if um, we're going to stay young forever. We don't live our lives as if there's not a future to prepare for. Most of us only think about our mortality when honestly attending a funeral or hearing of somebody passing who was around our age, the series in Ecclesiastes is a beautiful reminder of why we should give ourselves to dwelling on the fact that life comes to an end. Instead, we ought to be talking about dying well and passing on a legacy that's more than just possessions, especially when many people avoid talking about such things altogether. We ought to be a peculiar people, peculiar enough to approach those topics with a confidence, knowing that, man, when we pass on, there's something waiting on us beyond this. As that's why I would say, we're created for an entirely different world. Christ's words regarding the coming kingdom and the better place it bring prepared for us is the promise of a already, right, but a not yet. Christ's promise is what roots out our lives and it roots our trees deeply into the ground so that when we bend as the storms of life come through and they, the torrential downpours come through, we won't break because our hope is rooted in something very deep. Ecclesiastes dares to invite us in to the shaky ground of what is all this about? Is there a God out there? Is there a bomb in Gilead? And it challenges the Christian, it challenges the believer to say, yes, there is a bombing Gilead who can heal our sin-sick soul. That is why we can have a joy in the midst of the storms because our hope and peace is tethered to something deeper than looking good and feeling great. It's tethered to the only good and great one who sits in heaven being worshiped, not for just what he's done, but for who he is. My hope for you on this morning, church, is that you remember to take joy in life and fear God and keep His commandments, not in this, um, not out of obligation, not in this. If I do this, then He will accept me. But to remember that life is finite, and Christ looks upon you as an eternal soul who will come and be reunited with Him after the end times. Ultimately, I think that, um, I think that we're sort of bombarded with. Um, this uh, admonition to learn all you can and, and, and gain all the knowledge and all the earthly wisdom that you possibly can. And of, of course, there's a time for everything. There is a place for earthly wisdom. But do not, let, do not be fooled. Earthly wisdom before the great white throne will not amount for anything. Ultimately, it's not what you know, but it's, it's who you know. Jesus says it this way in the last day. Many people will be surprised and people will come to him with what they know about him. But the question will be, do you have a real relationship with Christ? This writer, as he writes in Ecclesiastes, you're reminded that, man, sometimes life can get very bleak, even for those people who experience the highest of the highs of what this world has to offer. Ultimately, this is a sad reality of a person who's been robbed of the joy of knowing Christ Jesus. Church, we don't want that. I don't want that for you. And so I want to invite you to rekindle the flame, fan the flame of knowing Christ Jesus. If you've never known him, I invite you to come pull one of our elders aside. Let's talk about getting to know him truthfully. Our goal ultimately in this series is to show you that you can wade towards the, uh, the fearful questions and Uh, the things that may not seem to be right up down the alley of uh, the most uh, accurate truth and know that God is bigger than the sickness we might face in the world. God is bigger than your doubts. He's bigger than your emotions and your rejection and your pain, that our God and his love and his son is way more powerful and more big and larger than the doubts you might have. At the end of the day, Ecclesiastes shows us that we are people destined for another world. And so we shouldn't tether our hope to this one. I really want you to remember that Christ said, um, Christ said that I'm coming back to take you to a better place, a place that I have prepared for you. And so I think the admonition here is live like you're going to a place that's been prepared. Fear God, keep his commandments, Not not out of obligation, but out of love for him. Um, Worship is love responding to love. He reached out to us first, and so we respond freely in kind, obeying him and keeping his commandments. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your your loving kindness and your grace that you've extended us. Everybody here from a different walk of life, a different point in their walk with you, you've extended the same grace to all of us, God, and for that on today, we thank you. Even for this this sermon series, God, which has left some of us um, perplexed at times, interested. Yet, God, we thank you that you've drawn us closer to you through the The winding roads of a of a book that doesn't it's not filled with just triumph and victory, but invites us to see your beauty, even through the times in life that are hard. Where we question, sometimes when we doubt, we look around and we see how broken and unfair the world is, we're reminded to see ourselves as recipients of grace, not entitled, God, but Full recipients God those who've been blessed and who've been um, fortunate to, to know you and to be graced by your hand my God I hope that we can take away from this series Lord help it rest on our hearts to be a humble people a peculiar people a people that run to you and find their hope in you help us to find our esteem and who you are and what you've done not in the work that we can accomplish but the work that you've already accomplished When we think about ourselves, and we think about you, help us to frame ourselves within your picture. You are the most beautiful and wonderful God. You're so kind. Extending grace to us, help us to take this grace with us as we leave. Help us remember that while you are a powerful God, you are a loving God. Help us to approach your throne of grace and remember that there is no, there's no joy that can be had or found in this world that is better than you and your Son Jesus. Help us to become a church that enjoys you and loves you and is excited about you, restore the joy within us, God. Remove the the cynical and and negative mindsets from us, God. Help us to be a, a Christian church that loves to celebrate you just for who you are, a son, a most high God. You've made us daughters and sons of the most high King. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. From Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to EmmanuelWithEyeBirmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at EmmanuelB.